Our Father, we thank you for the truths we've been singing this morning. We pray that our hearts are in tune with your will for our lives. Lord, we, th- we pray as we begin this new series on discipleship, being a devoted follower, devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. Lord, that you would help us, energize us. We give this to you as a gift because you have given it to us. And we pray, oh God, that this series will be uh, pleasing to you, that um, you will be honored and glorified, and that lives will be radically changed, oh God. I pray that you would take our church family here and that you would mold us, Lord. You would change us. You would energize us by your Holy Spirit. You would move us forward and enable us, Lord, to experience new vistas of our relationship with you, O God, that would pour out into this community as we, Lord, have offered to you ourselves and great discipleship expectations, Lord, believing that you have so much for us to accomplish. And I pray that you would strengthen us and help us to um, honor your will for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I have a question for you this morning. That begins by me bringing my friend out of his cage. This is a decoy. At least what hunters would call, duck hunters would call a decoy. It doesn't talk like a duck. It doesn't walk like a duck. Because... It isn't a duck. It's a decoy. There's nothing alive inside of this, although it looks very much, in fact, it's a wood duck, as I understand. Is that right, Scott? Literally. Yeah. I didn't need you to be that specific, but uh, thank you. In fact, um, hunters use this to attract real live ducks to be slaughtered. So... Uh, This decoy is um, not something you want to be. I wonder, though, in our churches, how many people are really decoys and not disciples. They look very nice on the outside, very Christian on the outside, in fact, but they don't walk like a Christian. They don't talk like a Christian because they aren't a Christian. And so as we embark upon this series, we want to get serious about being a disciple of Jesus Christ and what that really is. Uh, Greg Ogden, in the book that many of you have, wrote this concerning discipleship. Being a disciple is a serious business. The only way to be molded into the person God wants you to be is to abandon self in obedience to Christ. I'm going to read that again because I love the starting phrase of this. Being a disciple is a serious business. The only way to be molded into the person God wants you to be is to abandon self in obedience to Christ. 
For many in the movement we call Christianity, evangelism or getting people to say yes to Jesus or worship, getting people to sit in church is sort of the heart of the Christian mission. Well, I I know of a country in Africa, the name doesn't matter, but I've been there, where they boast of over 75% of the country is Christian. They have said yes to Jesus, they sit in church, but you dare not leave your car unlocked or your house unlocked in that country. So I ask you, are they disciples or are they really decoys? In this series that we're going to begin, we can acknowledge that in too many places in our world, Christianity is a a mile wide and an inch deep. And so when we wonder why, why, what happened, why did people abandon the faith or what happened there, um, perhaps they never really were disciples of Jesus Christ. Perhaps they were just decoys. Uh, I, I want to um, point out to you that in this series, we want to ask the question, are we really the church? Are we really doing what God has called us to do? We know that it is imperative for us to make sure that the main thing is the main thing. And we know as well from the scriptures that um, our purpose, um, our main purpose, is to glorify God. We, we are to, in our lives, bring honor to the Lord. That, that is our main purpose. But we have a main task as well. And that main task, according to the scriptures, is to make disciples, And we have to ask the question, are we actually engaging in the main task of Christianity? So would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, we're going to look at the very end of of Matthew, the gospel, the first gospel in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 28. Jesus, as we understand his mission appears to be more interested in quality than he is in quantity. In fact, Jesus' own words were, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there are that follow that way, and then narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And few, few, he says, find it. So who are these that find eternal life? Um, We have invested a lot as a church. I'm talking about the church in general. We've invested a lot in methods of mass production. But I wonder if we have paid enough attention to the master's plan and how he purposed to form the church. So I invite you to join with me in the text as we look at the master's plan. We're going to be spending this whole year looking at the master's plan for discipleship. I encourage you to be part of all of this as we seek to invest in your lives what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It would be awful if people from Calvary Baptist Church only became decoys and not disciples. So as we gather around the scriptures, let me just uh, set the context for you before we read the text. Uh, 
Jesus has been crucified, has been placed in a tomb, has risen again, and told his disciples that they should go and meet him in Galilee on a mountain in Galilee. And um, to the people who were listening, of course, when he said to go and meet him in Galilee, he was, he was saying from in their ears, go and meet me in Galilee of the Gentiles, which was filled with theological implications. The whole act of go and meet me, in fact, it's twice, early in the chapter, he says it twice. Tell them to go to Galilee and a mountain there and meet me there. In between times, we find out there's all kinds of lying and scheming going on and people trying to explain away the empty tomb. Explanations that have still survived even till today. Oh, they were paid off or the disciples stole him or whatever. All kinds of these lies were going around to try and explain away as Satan's last gasp or ditch effort at trying to discredit Calvary and the resurrection of Jesus Christ because if Christ was risen from the grave, it changed everything. And so he tells them, go meet me in Galilee. They had witnessed his death on Calvary. They had witnessed him being placed in a tomb. He tells them to go meet me in Galilee. And so we find that they are there. And there's an interesting parallel here that Jesus is setting up before he gives them the Great Commission to establish who he is. As as they meet in the Mount of Galilee, he is reenacting the Exodus. He is reenacting the event whereby God saved his people out of Egypt and took them to Mount Sinai and there at the top of the mountain, the representative of the people met with God whereby God handed down the law to the people of God and how they were to live before God. Jesus asks them to go to Mount Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles, and there he would hand to them the new covenant community, the commission of Almighty God to mobilize them to be used as change agents for God's glory. So that's where we pick up the text. In verse 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee because Judas had hung himself and was dead. To the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, by the way, some people suggest here that it wasn't just the disciples who were here, but in fact, there may have been 500 witnesses who were here. I I prefer to take that because I think by this time the disciples were not doubting anymore. But there were still some who had not even seen him yet. This was their first first awareness of the risen Christ. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
So here we have for us the master's plan, how he purposed to form the church. And I want to share it with you this morning. It's not new to you. In fact, there are many ways that we can outline this text, but one of the easiest ways is to take all the alls of this small section and use them as the framework for our text. It's memorable, it's easy for you to understand, and it's packed with theology. There are four alls here that emphasize the master's plan for how he was going to form the church. All authority, all nations, all things, all ways. There's a few brave soldiers out there this morning. It's easy. All authority, all nations, all things, always. So let's break it down. Let's look at it. What's the investment that God is asking from us? The all-encompassing mission to us. All authority. Jesus starts out by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is actually declaring here a fulfillment of lots of Old Testament prophecy. But let me just point you you to one major text. For example, in Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Jesus was... uh, pointing them to the fulfillment of this text. In my vision, Daniel says, at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, the term that Jesus applied to himself most often, on purpose, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his knowledge is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus was standing before this group of people and declaring, I am the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy and the fulfillment of the prophets. And I stand before you today declaring who I am and the scope of my authority. You know, we have many voices in our lives who are telling us to do this and to do that. And most often, when we are told to do something, the first question that comes into our mind says who? And the reason that we say says who is because we want to know Does this person have any authority to actually tell us to do that? And so Jesus is getting in front of that question with all who were standing there so that he would answer it right up front. Says who? Oh, I don't know, Jesus says. Um, Says the God of the universe. I mean, that's who says all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me So, in terms of this this first um, part of the commission, uh, the emphasis is is on not so much on how, but on why. Why should we listen to this? Why should we be motivated by this? 
Why should we get excited about this? Why should I take what I'm taught today and do something about it? It always comes down to motivation. Why should I be motivated to do this? Well, because Jesus has all authority and, and, and stands before us today through the text and says, I'm in charge of the universe, and I'm telling you this is what I'm proposing for you to do. This is what I'm commissioning to you, you to do. Real disciples will recognize the authority of Jesus Christ in their lives. Jesus is the one. This is all about Christ, beloved. What we're talking about as we launch this series is all about, 100%, totally about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Master, our Savior. Jesus has been given absolute authority to commission his people to busy themselves prepping each other to be citizens of his kingdom. All of God's authority is mediated through Jesus Christ. That's what we're presented with here. So when we're asking the question about the Great Commission, in particular about the authenticity of it, about the credibility of it, about the power, the awesome power behind it, we are talking about the power of the universe, Jesus Christ, his authority. So we know that by obeying what we are told in this commission, that the Lord of glory does the convincing and the convicting and the converting, all we're asked to do is obey his commission. Because for many of us, when we hear this thing that we're going to come to, uh, make disciples, go make disciples, it's a daunting thing when, when we think about that. Me? Make disciples? How could I ever make disciples? Just little old me? Yeah, you. All authority. Heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, who does the convicting and the convincing and the converting. All he's asking us to do is obey his commission. And so we have here that Jesus, as he moves through this statement, um, Jesus' primary mission was to Israel. But now we see, secondly, that he's expanding it to all the nations. He's basically making a public announcement. The king is declaring, ladies and gentlemen, this operation is going global. That's what he did on that Mount of Galilee as he stood before them, all the nations. Now, by the way, this was not a scriptural surprise to them either. Abraham, their forefather, had been told that through him, you remember, all the nations would be blessed. So Jesus' primary focus was a mission to Israel. He tells them to go meet him on the Mount of Galilee of the Gentiles because, ladies and gentlemen, the mission is going global as God had always promised. All nations. So what's the emphasis here? It's, all, it's about all disciples disciple-making. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all disciples discipling. How the master discipled his disciples is to be the model. Jesus is standing before them, 
and literally saying to them, you have already seen how this works. Think about this, beloved. When the God of all the universe incarnated and came to live among us, the mission with which he embarked is the very same mission he calls us to. The very same way he interacted with people when the God of all the universe walked on this earth is the same task he is calling us to. To disciple. How disciples will make disciples of the nations. Study Jesus. What Jesus did is what we're called to do. The objective, of course, in this, it says, is to go. Therefore, go. Spread out into all the world. Because I want this truth. I want this offer of salvation to go out to all of the nations. Well, if you know anything about human nature, you know that that's not something that we, by nature, like to do. We love to huddle. We love to keep close. We love to hang around and, and, and not move forward. And so we know that in the early church, uh, the Lord was required of the Lord to send persecution upon the church that it might scatter and actually obey the Great Commission. And so um, God did that. But here he says, I, this is what I want you to do. The objective is to go. I want you to spread out. Now keep in mind, the, the, the disciples who he's standing before in Acts chapter 1 verse 6 are the same guys who said to him, as far as they were concerned, Lord, now that you've, you know, you're crucified, that's great. You rose from the dead, that's fantastic. Uh, now are you going to bring the kingdom for Israel? Is that what you're going to do? They were always focused on just about them. And, and Jesus' answer to them was, uh, no, you, you know, the times are not for you. And he then says to them, um, when the Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I think they shut off their ears before he got to that phrase or started doing la, 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 la. We don't want to hear that. But the objective is to go. Going is the, uh, the first part of the mission. Evangelism is the starting point. Seeking people who are responding to God's call in their life. Through our authentic testimony and witness, calling people to turn to Jesus. That's the, that's the critical key to this in our life. That's why Jesus said to me, you'll be my witnesses. Through our authentic testimony, our witness, Calling people to an absolute commitment to the person of Jesus as one's Lord and Master. Jesus, to follow what he did and what he said and to think like him. It's not an academic endeavor. We're not to come to terms with Jesus academically. It's not a, a role or specific role particularly. It's rather calling people to an eternal relationship with the living God through Christ Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's recognized, or calling people to recognize that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Master. On the basis of the fact that He died, on the basis of the fact that He shed His blood for us, we are calling on people to recognize His ownership, His sacred and sovereign 
ownership over our lives. Jesus Christ, if you are a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, is the sole owner of your life. And our role in this is to go and call people to that awesome relationship with the living God. In fact, if we distill down all of the teachings about Christianity, that really defines Christianity. A Christian is a person who has committed themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Master by faith, believing in what Christ has done for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And then living that life out of what it means to be owned by the Lord of glory who is our Lord and Master all the days of our lives. And so we go to people and we live out that behavior. And we call each other to live that behavior. It is noticeable, increasingly noticeable. In the culture we are living in, beloved, being an authentic and sold out, devoted, committed follower of Jesus Christ is extremely noticeable and more so every day. That's what we're called to do. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, but baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are called to baptize the converted, those who have repented, turned from them, themselves and their sin to the living Christ. We are to baptize them as an act of obedient identification with Jesus and the Jesus nation. That's what baptism is. We, we just witnessed two people being baptized this morning. Now, baptism does not save you. I think we've emphasized that so, so many times. And we will always emphasize that because the Bible emphasized that. Baptism doesn't save you. As you see in the Great Commission, go and make disciples. In other words, go and devote your life to those who have already responded to the call of Christ. Go and witness to those who have not yet until they come to the point of responding to the Lord Jesus Christ. And once they've responded to the Lord Jesus Christ, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is an identification with Christ. It is an initiation rite of the people of Christ, whereby we identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's why the mode of baptism is full immersion under the water, because we are buried with Christ. We are raised again to new life in Christ. We are dead to our sins and raised again to our new life in Christ. That's what baptism initiates. It's the initiation into the family of God. It's our ID, if you will. Now, most of us in here, if I asked you, could you show me an idea, ID of some sort? You would have something. You would have a license. You would have a health card. You would have a passport. Anybody got a passport with them actually in, in person today? Clarence, that's fantastic. You, you carry your passport. Um, 
So that's very unusual, but it's neat. And uh, <laughs> so if you have a passport with you, a passport is your ID. You know, it has your name on it, and it has your nationality, right? Rick Baker, Canadian. Baptism is like your passport. It has your name, and it has your nationality. Your nationality is not really Canadian. You're part of the Jesus nation. Baptism establishes your ID. I am Rick Baker, and my nation is the Jesus nation. That's who I am. That's what baptism is. And Jesus pointed out here that baptism should be done in the name, singular, fascinating, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This was mind-blowing to an Israel audience, a monotheistic audience. Jesus is making some incredibly bold statements here, but nothing out of line from Scripture or that anybody shouldn't have known. But he is saying to a monotheistic people, a Trinitarian theology. Baptism is identifying with the one God. The name of that one God is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's who God is. And so Jesus establishes. Baptism, by the way, beloved, is a command. It is not a suggestion. Baptizing is in the imperative. Go is an imperative. Baptizing is an imperative. It's not an option. It's integral to discipleship. Specifically, loyalty to Christ. We don't know of any examples in the scripture of anyone being a follower of Jesus Christ who was not baptized, with the exception, of course, of the thief on the cross. And if you're crucified and come to know Christ and can't get baptized, you're fine. But if you are able-bodied and walking around and claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are commanded to identify with him through baptism. You're not saved by baptism. You are ID'd in baptism. So that's why at Calvary, in terms of metrics, I don't mean Calvary 2,000 years ago, I mean this Calvary, we actually count baptisms, not conversions. Because conversions might be a decision that ultimately ends up being a decoy. Baptism is that next level of discipleship that declares my loyalty to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He is the one who owns me. Now, this discipleship moves on from going baptizing to teaching all things. In the emphasis here of the commission, it's not, it's not, by the way, the emphasis is not so much on how many, and we talked about that at the front end, it's how obedient. Discipleship is about obedience. And the first obedient act is, is baptism. And we are taught to obey everything commanded of Jesus Christ. So um, let's break this down a little bit, and you'll notice that it says them. Teaching 
them to obey everything. Who is the them in the text? Well, the them, I would suggest to you, is the ones who've been made disciples. So it's not just for leaders. Jesus wasn't simply teaching here, say, this is going to be for you guys, you disciples. Or this is just going to be about the people that you appoint to leadership in the church. No. This making of disciples and teaching them, all of the disciples. Disciples, every disciple is to be involved, therefore, in the Great Commission or the Great Command or however you want to call this. That's discipleship. Anyone who has heard the gospel and has responded to the gospel by faith, believing that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, and has responded to his offer of salvation by repenting and believing in him for eternal life, is a disciple, is a Christian, is a believer. As I understand the theology here, those are, those are synonymous terms. You can't say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a disciple. Or I'm a believer, but I'm not a disciple. If you are really a believer, or you are really a Christian, you are really a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we are called here in the text by Christ to teach them, to teach disciples, to teach Christians, to teach believers to obey, to conform their lives to the likeness of Christ, to conform their lives to what they are taught in the scriptures, to conform their lives through obedience, which is how the real are distinguished from the decoys. The real obey Jesus Christ. The decoys resist obedience to Jesus Christ or have no interest in obeying Christ. That's how we are distinguished from one another. And so what are we supposed to teach them to obey? It says in the text, all things. Not just imperatives, commands. Not just the red letters in some of your Bibles. And not just easy things. We like to pick and choose the things we obey, you know. We are actually called to obey all things. Now you're saying to me, well, wait a minute, he said that I commanded you. And you just got finished saying not just command, not just imperatives. Are you changing Jesus' wording here? Now the word here, command, for command is a, is a broad and encompassing word that English doesn't really do a great uh, service to. And telemai, which means a total package. It means everything that I have brought to you. It means it's an all-encompassing fullness of Jesus' words and Jesus' deeds, what Jesus said and what Jesus did as he fulfilled the will of the Father. That's what he's expressing here in the all things to us. All things that that the Father has given me. After all, remember who Jesus is. We learned at Christmas time in John 1, he is the Logos. He is the Word of God. When Jesus is talking about uh, the, the total package of his words and his deeds, he's talking about all the Scriptures. He's talking about obeying the Scriptures. So disciples of Jesus Christ, then, are called to teach each other and submit to the teaching of of each other 
in the matters of learning how to obey and living out all that Jesus communicated in the life of a disciple of Jesus. That's what he's talking about here. Helping each other to grow up in Jesus. Helping people to validate through their lives, through their lifestyle, that they really belong to Jesus. Uh, Not putting up with chronic infancy. I'm guessing here that uh, as the, you know, junior highs and senior highs cut out here this morning, that, uh, you know, none of them are, are still at the stage where they're nursing and you need to change their diapers. I mean, that's just not usually what's happening. Because the whole idea, you know, I hear, I hear young parents, you know, they get all worked up about toilet training their kids. You know, oh, when, when are they ever going to, they're, they're, they're eight months and they're still using diapers. It's like, hey, listen, you know, have you ever seen a kid walking around, you know, with diapers on or they were still suckling when they were a teenager? Well, no, okay, so you're going to be fine. Just relax. It's just, it's, don't, don't get all bent out of shape about this. You're going to do fine. And, and I, I, Paul is saying the same thing in his epistles when he says, like, by now you should be past milk. You should be past suckling, and I shouldn't have to be still changing your diapers. Discipleship is about saying no to infancy and saying yes to maturity. It is pressing each other. It is, it is pushing each other uh, to the next stages of of following Christ, of following hard after the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not allowing people to be saved for 9,000 years and still needing to have their diapers changed. That's not what it is. It is pushing people to maturity. Paul said that you should move forward. Jesus' commission, the Great Commission, literally is grow up and help each other grow up to maturity in Christ. So we obey all things. And finally, because by the way, um, we, we are literally supervising the transformation of each other's lives. You understand that? That's really what discipleship is. We're really supervising the transformation of each other's lives. Because, beloved, obedience is the only way Jesus chooses to change us. If you don't obey Jesus... You will not change. And the reason that many, many people who have claimed to know Jesus forever and are not changed is because they continue to disobey the Scriptures. But obedience to the Scriptures will for sure grow you in maturity. Especially those things you say, that's so hard. I don't want to do that. All authority has been given. The power of God is invested in this, is invested in you, is invested in each of us to help each other grow in Christ. Now, the final is critical. And surely, I am with you always. It's about a life to live rather than just converts to a message. We're in partnership with Jesus Christ. Uh, We could never think of embarking upon this on our own. And that's why Jesus makes this bold promise to us. I'm going to be with you. Remember what Moses said when they were wandering around in in Exodus 33 uh, and and, uh, 
he said, and, and God was going to put him in a, in a cave and let his glory pass before him. And, and Mo- Moses said um, to the Lord, look it, if you're not going with us, please don't send us. I don't even want to go. Because if you don't go with us, how will we be any different than the people of the world around us? So Jesus is getting in front of this as well and saying, look it, I'm, go- I'm going to go with you. I'm going to accompany you every step of the way. You know, you're out there this morning saying, I'm afraid to be baptized. I'm afraid to get up in front of people and do anything. Listen, Jesus, the God of the universe, is going with you. He will accompany you. He will not abandon you. He will not leave you. Say, oh, I don't know how to tell anybody about my Savior. Jesus is going with you. The Lord of glory will accompany you. Well, I I don't know how to go and, and, and talk to one of my brothers about something that I see that maybe that could be helpful to them. Listen, Jesus is going with you. Jesus will accompany you. When you are on mission, when you are obedient to the commission, Jesus is with you. His powerful presence goes with you. As you engage in discipleship, you can be assured of Jesus' presence to accompany you. When you get engaged in discipleship, you are guaranteed the special presence of Jesus. This is a powerful promise to us. Listen, beloved out there today, if you're contemplating joining Calvary in membership, this is our DNA. This is who we are This is what we do. This is all we are, and this is all we do. We are staying on task to make disciples who will make disciples. So let's just wrap this up with a couple of definitions so that we can all be talking the same terminology down through this series. Discipleship is this, the process God uses to transform Christians. Discipleship is simply the process God uses to transform Christians. And discipling is one disciple helping another disciple grow in their discipleship. Intentionally and incidentally, always discipling. Because that's who you are. You're a disciple. Disciples disciple. That's that's what we do. Husbands with wives, parents with children, friends with friends, all church programming, all church intentions, all church activities, to the lost, to your neighbors, to your friends, to your family, to your co-workers, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's what we do. It's who we are. People who receive eternal life are new creations totally remade, reworked over, made into disciples. Make sure you get in on that master plan. That's Jesus' task for you. He powerfully authorizes you. He clearly gives you the plan. This isn't complicated, is it? And he promises to be with you. Making disciples is the command to steward people to spiritual maturity. When we ask the question, what do Christians do? We make more Christians. 
We disciple. That's what we do. We evangelize, we baptize, and we supervise God's work in each other's lives. So, are you a decoy? Or are you a disciple? Father, I pray this morning that you would that you would take our hearts and so rework them that the new creation that we are through Christ would move forward with an energized enthusiasm for this amazing mission that you have given to us. Lord, we don't want to be confusing anybody. You are the one who convinces and convicts and converts. And then you tell us to go and engage in that work. The work of Christ changing people's lives forever. Could there be anything more important than that? Lord, you've called us to many things in life. You've called us to various careers and various roles. But Lord, they are just means to an end. To the end of being a disciple wherever we are, making disciples who will make disciples. So Lord, I pray that uh, this would be a, a fresh and powerful moment in Calvary's history to move us to the next level that you have for us in this darkening culture around us that we might be people with great discipleship expectations, oh God. For your name's sake, I pray. Amen. Are you a decoy or are you a disciple? You might be saying this morning, you know, I, I don't think I'm a disciple, but I want to be. Well, that's the first recognition, the first step to responding to God's call in your life to a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I urge you to speak to one of us today about that. We'd love to show you from God's word how you can know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Maybe you haven't been baptized yet. Say, I'm a disciple, but I haven't yet been baptized. Disciples get baptized. Maybe you are not involved in discipling another person. Maybe you're not involved in some sort of small setting whereby you're engaged in exchange with one another about growing each other up. We have discipling communities. They're not the only way that you can have a, a, a discipling relationship. They are something. They are a way. And if you don't have a, something like that, we, we would encourage you to get involved in a discipling community where you can be part of growing other people to become more and more like Christ. I, either way, disciples recognize that all authority, Jesus said, has been given to me under heaven and earth. So go and make disciples, therefore, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey whatsoever things I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age.
decoy or disciple. Our Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the mission given to us. Thank you for the generous offer of salvation by grace through Jesus Christ. Thank you for putting us together to grow one another, that we might become effective citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, preparing us for eternity with Christ. Oh, Lord, help us to be a discipling church. Disciples making disciples who make disciples, oh God. That's your purposed plan to form the church. May we engage in it with wholehearted passion, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.